Bill Show wish to thank our primary sponsors, The Mallon Agency, located in Springfield, PA, where they take pride in exceeding expectations every time. The Roselli Agency. Brian and his team of insurance professionals have been serving the needs of Chester County for more than two decades. Anthony DeCecco and our friends at Tennis Addiction are ready to serve all your tennis needs at their beautiful facility in Exton, PA. Welcome everyone to the Rosie and Bill Show. Our guest this week has made people think and made people laugh for decades. He's appeared on the big screen, the small screen, and if you're on social media, you've probably seen him on your phone screen. Please welcome to the Rosie and Bill Show, the man affectionately known as God's comic, Brad Stein. Brad, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It was uh... Uh, a, a deep contemplation before I came on the show, and I did do discuss it with my attorney. Uh, and uh, this is, in fact, a court order. So normally I wouldn't have come on your show, uh, but a judge has just re released the the document, so uh, I'm I'm I have to be on. So I'll do my best, but it's under duress. Wow. Well, you know, Bill, that money you slipped the judge seems to have paid off. So that's good. <laughs> Would be the first clear. time. <laughs> Brad, when did you realize that you were funny as a kid? When did you start making people laugh? Uh, I don't know that I ever can even think like that. I don't know that I knew I was funny, frankly. Uh, um, my dad always joked around. I have a grandfather that joked around. So it wasn't unusual to be kind of fun loving in my family. Uh, and it wasn't so it wasn't odd or or uh, something that I was told to tone down. Uh, and I do remember. Matter of fact, I do remember uh, the first time I remember getting a laugh. Uh, I was maybe first grade, I'm going to guess. And I got in trouble. And so at that time, because uh, they made me the teacher made me come up and stand in front of the class. And she was in front of me. And behind, this is in the 60s, so behind me was a plastic laminated board. It had like an ABCs and an apple and a banana and whatever. But she was a bit in front of me, and all the class, I could see them. Well, for most people, that's terrifying. To me, it's like, oh, I'm on stage. So I saw the apple, the pretend apple, and I, I looked at it, and I grabbed it, and I took a bite and started eating it. And the people, all my, the, they're watching me because the teacher's right in front. And they're laughing. So I'm like, oh, well, get another apple. I'm going to start eating the apples. And they're all laughing. This teacher's like going, what is wrong with these people? What is going on? And she turns around and sees me eating the this apple. She got angry and grabbed me and threw me in the closet and locked it. And so now you could do that in the 60s because who gave a crap about people in the 60s? So uh, the kids are, I'm locked in the closet. And I thought to myself, what I need to do is I need to collapse and pretend like I've suffocated. So when she opens the door, uh, she'll be she'll be horrified. So, so I mean, it's funny you just brought that story up, and uh, and I didn't really think about it, but I I remember that particular incident as the first. No, 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 that isn't the first time I remember getting a laugh. My mistake. There was there was a time before that, kindergarten. 
they had a uh, Friday was a was a, like show and tell or no it was some kind of uh, I don't remember imagination day or something so they decided they're going to have a puppet show so they say who wants to be the puppet show well I'm raising my hand I can't wait to be the puppet be the puppet show they pick me and pick another guy so you get behind the puppet thing you put on your puppet but they didn't give you a script they just okay do your puppet thing. I'm six years old so who knows what they're doing the other kid is you know, soiling himself because he's just like, I don't know what the heck. So I uh, I just start going, uh, okay, you want to play hide and seek? And he goes, sure. And I go, okay, I'll count. Five, one, nine, 54, 13, six. Kids are rolling. Kids are rolling because I don't know if you know this, but nothing is funnier to a kindergarten kid than the, oh, look, I don't know how to count routine. So they're laughing. They're rolling their heads off. So I leave thinking, look at me, huh? I just thought of this. The next week, they decide to have another puppet show. I remember thinking, well, they're going to pick me because clearly I'm the puppet master. <laughs> I had the people in stitches. She didn't pick me. They picked two other people. I said, all right, well, I can't wait to see them try to follow my amazing routine. <laughs> And I sit there and I watch this take place. Hey, you want to play hide and seek? Sure. One, nine, 55, 73, kids are rolling again. And I'm thinking, that's my bit. <laughs> Copyright so, infringement. So I had, so I wrote my first comedy bit at like five or six and had it ripped off a week later. So welcome to show business. So uh, I, I didn't even think about those until you just asked me that question. But uh, I guess that's the point is I never thought of myself as funny. And I can't think that I tried to be funny. I think it was natural. And I think that that really is what makes a comedian a comedian that just for whatever reason, they're given a gift to not only know what funny is, but want to present it i love being in front of a crowd since i was a little kid never bothered me i i embraced it i inspired me i know it's the biggest fear of most people is speaking in front of a crowd i loved it so to me that just means it was a gift that was something god gave me for whatever reason he wanted me to be able to do that and uh here i sit these many years later and uh, thinking about returning to my eating the fake apple and i can't count routine because i'm getting old <laughs> Well, and I'm getting old. I can't remember anything anymore. Let's just go back to the old stuff, see if it still works. Well, wait a minute. I have to go back. I, I want you to finish the story. What happened when the teacher opened the closet? I I, I wish I could say I had pulled off my my thing, but I think I remember. I, I think I did. I think it was something I wanted to do. And and I somehow didn't, but it, I just remember thinking I I've got to destroy this teacher for doing this horrible thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So so uh, yeah, I don't think I did it though. Now that I think about it, I, it again, it was a long time ago. But uh, I think all I was referencing, frankly, was you know I think comedy is a gift. You know they have a they have a term called a sense of humor. We've all used it. We all know what it means. You've got a sense of humor, but I think what we don't do is break it down. It says a sense of humor, mm -hmm. a heightened sense of humor. We have five senses, but this is another sense that somebody sometimes has at a higher uh, capacity uh, to facilitate. So I, I think it's a gift. I mean, it's like somebody that can write songs. It's like somebody that can sing. There's some things you don't know why you got it. It's, it's a gift. You didn't earn it. 
Somebody gave you this thing. You, you're a great athlete. You can do it. So I'm guessing I just had that, that, you know, whatever that is, that, that, uh, uh, gene that just knew what funny was and knew how to do right. it and liked it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. You're the second comedian we've had on that was locked in a closet. I I'm like, what is yeah. happening? Well, it, it, we <laughs> suffer a lot of trauma, uh, a lot of pain, and we survive it. Uh, we have two choices, heroin or laughter. <laughs> and we choose, we choose laughter or, you know, the other people are drunk and in a halfway house, but uh, we're surviving. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I do think that uh, laughter is a means of uh, um, defense. It's a means of um, uh, surviving and navigating hard things in life. And it's, I'm grateful. I have uh, uh I have that outlet. I understand as a teenager, you dabbled in magic. How did you come about being learning how to be a magician? Well, I don't know if you get Baptists that watch your program, but you just lost them. Just to wanted to let you know they've all fled <laughs> and, and they might be looking for an exorcist as we speak. Uh, so when you say magic, obviously we're talking about sleight of hand. We're talking about illusions, card tricks, things along right. that line. Started learning that as a teenager. And uh, loved it, thought it was fun, thought it was interesting, uh, got books and, and other uh, uh, props and just got more sophisticated, got better at actual sleight of hand, uh, performed professionally uh, from a, maybe around 18, 19 years old in Southern California at, in restaurants, hotels, doing close-up magic, walking up to tables and performing magic, which is what we now call street magic, like David Blaine. That kind of stuff. That's what I did. We called it close-up magic or table hopping because you were in a restaurant. And I did that professionally for many years, uh, even created some tricks that ended up in magic publications mm. uh, that I invented uh, some things. So um, and knew some of the top magicians in the world, uh, some I'm, who I'm still friends with. So uh, it was it was my first professional performance artist um time in my life where I was paid to perform as a, perform a performance artist uh, doing magic. So uh, that was a great opportunity because it really is what got me into comedy because I had a comedy. I did it funny, of course, because I'm a comedian. So everything was funny to me. And so the magic tricks I did in a funny way. And I thought, you know what? I need I'm not making a lot of money. I need to get a bigger show with bigger props, but I'll be funny. And I can, that means I can go into comedy clubs because comedy clubs are really big at that time. This is the eighties. I thought, well, heck, this is another revenue stream for me. I can go into a comedy club and, and be a comedy magician. So that's kind of what got me into uh, to clubs is I had something I could do until I learned how to do monological comedy and just speak. I had these props to kind of cheat until I figured out how to do the rest of it. I didn't even know I was going to be a comedian. Never had a plan to be a comedian. Was not in my, wanted to be an actor, wanted to be a magician, wanted to be a baseball player, wanted to be a secret agent, wanted to be a stuntman. But I never thought of being a comedian. And that's what I've spent most of my life doing. That's amazing. You just never know where God is going to lead you. And since you brought that up, years ago, I just want to share with you, when I lived in New York, I took a stand-up comedy class with a, a man named Frank Santapadre. And, and it was interesting that he didn't just give us assignments to go home and write jokes. His thing was like, just write, just 
kind of write what comes into your mind about maybe how you grew up or things that were important to you, whatever, just to help us find our voice. So I'm wondering, how did you find your voice as a comedian? There was a guy that booked the Tonight Show for Johnny Carson for many years. Uh, and and he would go and watch the comedians, bring on the comedians. And he always said it took 10 years to find your voice. Mm. Uh, now, again, this is back in whatever, 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, so um, that made me, gave me some optimism because I'm two or three years in. I'm like, man, I'm still haven't figured it out. And it was hard because I tried to contrive it. I, I, I started wearing these... Uh, kind of crazy pants that that I that I got in the gym I would work out a lot back in the 80s in California and they they for a while these big old balloon almost like uh what's his name uh uh the MC Hammer MC Hammer like that kind of big <laughs> round, uh, big thick but colorful and I and I wore this colorful vest I had made ja jacket and thing so I was trying to figure out this look like Steve Martin did when he wore all white and I thought, well, you got to find a look. And I'm tr so I'm trying to kind of manufacture everything. And then I remember, because one of my favorite comedy uh, comedians are, are, are a troupe, Monty Python. And so what I loved about Monty Python was they were really smart, but then they'd get really silly. And I learned that, you know, if I wear crazy, colorful get up and I do crazy, colorful things, well, okay, but why wouldn't you? If you wear if you wear a crazy wig and floppy shoes, I'm guessing you're a clown. So we're not shocked that you do clowny things. And um, I realized, well, heck, if you dress normal and then do something crazy, it's even funnier because now it's a it it doesn't make sense. So I decided to start moving into that and and uh, just trying to write anything that came to my mind. I thought was funny and then try it on stage because it's very difficult. Uh, it's a very difficult art is stand-up comedy because it's the only art that I know of a performance art that I know of. And if you have another one, let me know that you have to rehearse in front of the audience. See, if I can, if I put a band together in my garage and I film it and tape it, I can listen back and go, we nailed that. Everybody was in key. Everybody hit the right note. doesn't mean everybody's going to like it. The song but at least I did it the craft properly. I can I can stage a play right uh, and and block it right and get everything done and know my lines and we can do it. Doesn't mean people are gonna like it. Doesn't mean it doesn't mean to be tweaked. But the material is already there. Comedy, I don't care what you think's funny. It's not funny till the audience laughs. Yeah. And so you know the biggest problem that comedians, new comedians have, is they start working out this material in their head or well, however they do it, get in front of a mirror, practice like they're about to do their stand-up set, doing their open mic. And they'll go, what's up? I got, and they'll laugh here. Plus, and they get on stage and you go, so, and suddenly they're not getting their laughs. Well, no, no, they were supposed to laugh there. And then they start to panic. And then they give a, they're a wonderful treat for all the, comedians that get to watch them eat it on stage we love that we laugh we find that funny because we've all been there so we get great joy out of watching other comedians especially friends um bombing but uh i think that for me i was able to perform and make a living uh, and and get hired as a as a comedian first a 
comedy magician, but then I kind of eventually got rid of the magic and just stuck with the comedy. But I think what changed for me, I had a lot of material because uh, I just was writing all the time and always trying something new because I just got bored easy. For me, what worked was when I found a theme, when I realized I want to talk about something. What is it? I don't want to just talk about uh, road signs. Oh, oh, deer crossing sign, you know, who has those? You have deer jump out on the road. What kind of place is this? These were funny to the folks. But when I found a through line, you know, in the Midwest, it's different than in L.A. Because you guys have things I've never thought about. I mean, you're like living in the 18th century. You have deer jumping out on, on the road. That's not put up a sign. Put up a wall. Get a stun gun. They invented a barbed wire. Use it. You know, so suddenly I was giving it this, this weight. Um, this part of the country has this kind of a feel, and I've seen it. And this part of the country doesn't even understand that. But let's move over here. And you know what? You're strong people because you grew up on farms, and you had to do A, B, and C. And these people, these kids nowadays, they never had to do that. Why? They have cell phones. You can joke about cell phones, or you can talk about how these kids don't appreciate this incredible technology. Next thing you know, you have a voice. Because mm -hmm. you're basically saying, here's how I see the world. Here's what bothers me. And usually... It's something that annoys you. That's what a comic kind of finds is this bugs me. How come people do that? What is the thing with why do people? That's where they find the funny. And what makes comedy um, comedians unique is that most people go through life accepting it on its own terms. Whereas a comedian judges and evaluates everything. You walk up to a stranger, shake his hand. Nice to meet you. I walk up to a stranger, strike his hand, and then I go, I wonder why we hold hands when we meet a stranger. That's odd, because normally you don't touch somebody that you, that's how we think. Everything has got to have be analyzed and broken down. And uh, so that is where we find our material in finding the ludicrousness. And the greatest joy for a comic is not just getting a laugh, and of course you want that, and it's fun when people laugh at something you thought of. But it comes to a point where they're supposed to. I mean, you're a comedian. If they don't laugh, you're not, you're not going to work. So you get used to expecting them to laugh. But what the great joy is, is finding funny where nobody else found it before. There was a comedy magician once I was talking to, but it, it's just kind of an, a... a, a an ending to this concept I've been talking to you guys. He does comedy magic. So everything is, he'll take, uh, you know, cards and do something funny while he's doing a card trick. And he does something, this and that. And he does something with a rope and he cuts the rope and restores it. And, you know, we've all seen this stuff, but he has a really funny routine. And people are like, comedians will get angry. Well, you, you, you're a prop comic, man. And you got it easy. You just, you just do stuff with props. <laughs> and he took his rope and he threw it and said, here's a piece of rope. Make me laugh. Mm. And I thought to myself, that's it. Well-framed. He's like saying, yeah, yeah, I have this thing I do, but I found funny in a piece of rope. Your turn. Show wow. me your funny piece of rope trick. And so I think that's really was a great way to define what comics can do that most people can't. Well, Brad, there, there's something else that you do. And I, I love that. I love everything that you just shared with us. You should. It was genius. It was yes. very deep and, and insightful. <laughs> and I'm shocked. I'm shocked, frankly, that both of you aren't weeping because that's what yeah. I was shooting for. 
You may well, have shown yourself, but you should at least. We're still trying to get over the shock of the court order that led to you showing up. So we still having trouble believing that you're even here. Well, listen, I'm on my, my, my ankle bracelet goes off in five minutes. I'm just saying, okay. I'm just. <laughs> Do you just have one or two? I have two. I don't know about you, but anyway, oh. so um, <laughs> one of the things I wanted to, to also touch on with regard to how you do it is you bring so much passion and energy. And I mean, energy, like in capital letters and uh, just the, you probably if you had a Fitbit on, I'd be willing to bet that in some of your shows, you, you may walk the equivalent of a marathon because you're working the crowd, you're, you're putting everything you have into it. In fact, I've even seen you do some cheerleading stunts that were very, very impressive. Every guy here would stop watching sports today if he's only allowed to cheer like a cheerleader. <laughs> Could you imagine that fiasco? He's on the 15 10 by touchdown! <laughs> Where do you get all that energy from? Um, it, it, it was natural because people always say that the biggest... <laughs> The biggest comment I get, you know, listen, I get a lot of haters on the internet, obviously, who doesn't? But I'm a Christian and conservative and unapologetic about it. So that gives them reason to despise me. But um, I'd say the biggest insult I get all the time is, you know, I'm on cocaine. And uh, I don't know if it's because I was sweating or because of the energy. Uh, but I don't know. I didn't get up there and say, I think I'll be the energy guy it's just the way i would do it i i have a uh i have a sense of the dramatic i have a sense of 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 theater it's just my nature so i think i get up there and i just like moving and and i do like going back and forth because i want to get all the audience to feel like they're in part of this so i get to get you in and bring you in i don't want you to think because you're stage right that you're not as important as stage left i don't want you guys up there don't think i'm not looking at you so they feel part of the show and so that's stagecraft, but I mean, it's just natural. I get up there, I, maybe it started because I was nervous, didn't know what I was doing, and I was trying to overcompensate by just being, I'll get so energetic, I got to deal with it. But it's just kind of, the, I like just delivering it with an aggressive attitude. It just works for me. It's who I am. I think I've probably um, slowed down and got a little bit less aggressive as I've gotten older and as I've gotten more material under my belt that maybe that has tapered a bit. I've definitely changed. If you look at my material from when I started and where I am now, as far as some of the delivery I do, I, I had some angrier times. I think when I was a few, few albums back that I've, I've tried to temper and bring a little bit more sweetness to it. So you're always, hopefully, if you're an artist, you're always trying to get better and, and evaluate and think, how can I do this in a way that I think is more uh, in line with what I wanted I want people to get from me. So it, again, I, it's like comedy. It just was my natural means of, of doing it. I, I don't even realize I'm doing it, frankly. Well, and, and, you know, it's an evolution too. You're always constantly changing and growing. So it makes sense to me mm -hmm. that, well, maybe you were the angry comic for a little while because that was what was coming through. And then now it's evolved, you know, so yeah. it makes perfect sense. To well, me. I have gills now. I don't know if I mentioned <laughs> that, but uh, evolution is odd. It, it is a thing. I can breathe underwater and do a show. So if we ever, you know, so I can go perform for the Titanic. Uh, but um, you do evolve um, and, and you can see it in a lot of guys. I mean, you can see uh, even some really great comics um, look at their older stuff. 
Uh, well, certainly, uh, you know, the best example would be like a George Carlin, because that guy was doing it even, I think, late 50s when he started, but at least into the 60s, very different material than what he ended up becoming uh, as time went by. Well, Brad, unfortunately, we are we're out of time, but I just want to say that we really appreciate you coming on the show, you sharing your your story, your courage, your comedy and your conviction. And we thank you so much. And folks, we hope you've enjoyed the show and we'll see you next week. Guys don't understand clothing. That's why God made us naked. (laughs) You didn't have to match anything. (laughs) Women invented clothing, including men's clothing, and they've turned men's clothing into a gag gift. (laughs) That's why guys can't put their underwear on in the morning without tripping. Guys know what I mean. What's the deal with that second hole in your underwear? You miss it every time. <laughs> First hole, no problem. Second hole, big toe catches. I'm in a rodeo. Suddenly, I don't know what the heck's going on. <laughs> your wife's in the closet with the control box. Dance, you fool! <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> Eight seconds. 